This is a Forwardly podcast. Dateline, Hollywood, California. There are eight million stories in the naked city. Why is it that Tinseltown can't seem to tell those stories worth a damn? Never fear, dear listeners. There is a cure for this condition. Is there a doctor in the house? In fact, there's two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in inflationary. We just go up and up with no end in sight. By we, of course, I mean the always tethered to the ground, Dr. D. How are you, Dr. D? I think I have to say that I am damaged. Damaged? Damaged in the sense that I feel like I am not in sync with how everyone else is reacting to the movies we're going to discuss tonight, both... You know the world at large, and and perhaps even you. Um, but regardless of how I am, well, you know where my money is. I I think I I think I do, but uh, but in any case, um, I want to know how you are doing this evening, Doctor G. Uh, I am uh, very anxious to talk about these films. Oh, good. I must good. say. So, without much further ado, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we give you our third Oscar Buzz double feature. Two titles nominated for Best Picture, which are essentially childhood reminiscences. We have Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, set in early 1970s Los Angeles. And we have Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, set in 1969 during the Protestant Catholic turmoil known as the Troubles. And yeah. uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the the reins and I'm going to start us off with Belfast. Yes, good. Um, I had heard a lot about this. Uh, not not in the sense that I heard a lot of information about it, but just that I was gleaning, you know, pretty positive reviews across the board. And I figured, well, you know, it's the Kenneth Branagh. It's the cult of Kenneth Branagh. Um, but um, as much as there were some things I really liked, uh, there were I, I basically felt like this was a pretty flat and empty experience emotionally i i i found that it was almost like a by the books by the book Uh way to do a child a a british childhood you know post-war story Hmm. and okay and i i kept thinking of other films that that covered essentially the same terrain much better much more very good powerfully and effectively i'll i'll want to hear uh in a few minutes uh about some of those movies from you um for my part uh i found the you know uh, i think his name was jude hill the young man playing the, yes. the lead uh, basically the stand-in for 
Kenneth Branagh himself, because this is you know somewhat um, autobiographical. Uh, I thought he was so sweet and charming, and anytime he was on the screen, I was delighted. You know, Jamie Dornan is everyone. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Kate Triana. Bailth? I don't know how to pronounce her name. She played the mother. Katrina? Dench. Yeah. Maybe it's it's probably Katrina, maybe? Kate, yeah, Katrina yeah. or something? But yeah. Um, I found the cast very engaging, but I just sort of felt like it was just very removed. It was very distant. And it was. That's kind of the end of my quick take. And I will say that while watching, I kept thinking about Roma, uh. which was from um, a couple of years ago now, 2018. And that is a, it's set in the early 70s, a live-in housekeeper of a middle-class family, semi-autobiographical um, take on, I think, uh, uh, Quaron's upbringing. Okay. In, in, uh, in Roma, which is a neighborhood in Mexico City. And that had, so it had a lot of the family dynamics and you saw very natural style acting and you saw a lot that it had in common with this, but it also just seemed to have, I don't know, sort of grit and passion. And I mean, I can, I vividly remember a, a tracking shot they did in Roma that went over the course of blocks and the degree to which they would have had to dress that set with lights and all the wind, you could see so much life in the shot as it as it as it traveled along and i just didn't get that same sense here i always felt like i was on a set or i was in a very um sort of spick and span there just didn't feel like it was gritty somehow to me no it really didn't there were a couple of spots like the 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 grandparents place that looked <laughs> that, that that seemed uh to help, I really, uh, I really dislike the cinematography in this film. I think that's oh. part of the reason why uh, it, it comes across as flat is because it it doesn't look like it was conceived for black and white in terms of composition. Uh, wow. th th there, there's no extreme contrast. It's this infinite palette of muddy grays, yeah. and that's really wearing on the eyes after a while. I, I mean. Yeah, uh, you know, forgive right. me, but at this stage no. of the game, if you're going to sh do something in black and white, then you should be exploiting the uniqueness of that photography, not right. just use it because it's set in the past and, you know, right. well, I remember my childhood in black and white or whatever. Right, right. Well, I mean, I would, the only thing I would counter, and I essentially agree with you, I'm just devil's advocating here, Um it's possible that were it shot in color, everything would be in that same kind of browns and grays and no, like almost like almost monotone. Well. Um, and so in, in which case, but I understand that when you, when you go to black and white, I think you take your responsibility uh, visually to another level, to another place. And um, yeah. that's really uh, interesting it it An looked point. to me like I, like it was like a color film that you adjusted your television yeah, down to you know what you're right <laughs> to, to take out all the color and it's just like right yeah. it's funny that you said that because i was just talking uh, i think two episodes ago about how i'm going to be forced to do that if i ever want to see 
uh, Nightmare Alley in black and white, and it's just not going to look right than if it had been shot with that intention. Right. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand. I think you're right. I think you're very right. And I think the stills all look nice and good. I don't get there that was same some... sense. Yeah. I found that there there were a number of really nice compositions, but mm-hmm. um, much like the occasional use of color, I felt like they wore out their welcome. It was like I got that shot three or four times, and right. it was powerful once. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, anytime you go back to the well, you know, in successive scenes or whatever, it mm. it, it it takes uh, potency away. I find. Yeah. And yet I keep reading so many heartfelt responses to this movie and people are responding to the to current events and how they kind of are echoed by now I saw this movie before the news of the day. I saw this, right. you know, a month ago, more than a month ago. So I w- I didn't have it in my mind while I was watching it. Oh, this is so similar to whatever. Okay. I have to own a certain amount of it. I I think that if you're if you're of a older generation, I think if you are of that geographically closer and experienced, you know, all of that stuff, if not firsthand, secondhand, but very close, um, it might resonate much more. But I just felt like it was a little too clean. It didn't, I feel, it, it, it didn't exploit the political drama i hate to use the word exploit but i um the the impositions upon the family in terms of what was happening politically yeah were not that unique i don't feel like it it, it conveyed the sense of how historic how uh, how how shocking on a national for United right. Kingdom scale this event was mm-hmm. I neither felt... through just the objective presentations of it I'm sorry uh, okay. nor through how it impacted the family and I sort of felt like this could have been any family this movie could have been taking cl- place behind any of the doors on that street and largely it would all be the same in terms of these these sort of archetype characters yeah that are in yeah. the situation archetype in, see, characters exactly so but here's the thing that just occurred to me while you were talking um which is that and this is me i'm continuing to sort of play devil's advocate against my own reactions are we seeing it through the it's the story's being told was written and directed by kenneth branagh about his own childhood experiences and if we are watching it all through the eyes of that boy that would have a tendency to make it a little bit more reductive closer to how we're seeing it do you follow what i'm saying because his understanding of the father going away isn't the same as our adult now through the passage of time understanding of the father going away um but if that's what they were doing then i think that they failed in that regard or at least they failed to reach me in that regard no, I think they failed in general in that regard. I think, I think, I think the reason I'm going to be extremely blunt. Um, I think yes. that a lot of the praise and 
swelling of emotion that it's bringing up in a lot of people, frankly, mm-hmm. is because it's been a really long time since we've had a, uh, Angela's Ashes or before that. Mm-hmm. And I think much more significantly, uh, if you remember this movie, Hope and Glory. Oh, gosh. I don't remember, but I... From I, the mid to late 80s, I want to say. Yeah. Um, about a British family during the Blitz, uh, during the Blitz told yeah. from the point of view of a 10-year-old boy, whatever he was. Um, and it it did that pretty effectively. And, and in a way that, like, there were emotional complications for the family because of what was going on. Okay. I mean, here... Yeah. In Belfast, you know, essentially this could have been riots and, uh, you know, a a local mafia-like thug. Right. uh, You know, shaking them down for Uh money or commitment. Uh, It didn't, uh, you know, because the father worked in London and wasn't there for half the time. Yeah. the, 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 The pressure from from the, the 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 gang leader was was spaced out too far apart to to have any kind of impact or resonance it's not like he was there pounding on the door every night you know or accosting it was, on the way to the market or something like that that it was notching up right yeah it was just sort of touching touching on it over and over again like this isn't going away yeah yeah so that's one thing. Um, I mentioned before about you know some of the things I liked that, that uh, visually that then became overused, and that obviously was the use of color. Right. It which is mo- which is always for he, he reserves for the the presentation of the the other world of of art of film the stage. Right, right. You know, and the impact that that was supposed to have on the little boy, buddy, uh-huh. but it doesn't. I think um, we never really see a shot where he is, you know, suddenly enraptured because he realizes he wants to be on that stage. Right. We don't see it affecting no. him the way it's affecting us. No. If anything, we got more uh, reaction out of like Judy Dench watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang than we did <laughs> him seeing a live performance on stage that moved him emotionally right. or even right. in the movies. Right. But three or four times was enough. I would have liked it if they had just used the shot of the color film reflecting in Judy Dench's glasses. Uh, yeah. That was really cool. And then I understand what the... Cl- and, but I think if it had just been maybe that and then color for the live performance that he watches of yeah. uh, Christmas Carol I think it is right um, are you is this the thing you were referring to before when you said that they were doing you know gra- uh, cinemagraphic touches that they did repeatedly and that they had, yeah that they overdid okay yeah that they basically overdid um right well I have to guess that we we maybe haven't cracked the reason he was doing it you know, or he just overdid it. I don't um, know. I, I didn't quite feel what the urgency was in this story other than uh, 
kind of self-indulgent. I want to tell my story, but well, I I kind in, of in agree such with a broad you. in such a broad way that it has, at least for me, it had very very little emotional impact. Yeah, um, it's almost as though he he made it he lower common denominated it so that it was more universal in a way and that I sort of feel like if it had been much more specific to that family I could have I could have been swept up in it a little bit more um you know if it, with a little more filler which this whole movie basically was um <laughs> it, it, it could be you know on PBS you know maybe this was made for television originally I don't know mm. but uh it, it it had the same level of tameness as a British production, BBC or otherwise, that you get on PBS over here. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay. Now, listen, I don't, we don't have to go on too much longer about this. I feel funny because, you know, in other discussions we've, we've gone, oh, this is a thing, this is a scene I absolutely adored, or this one is I absolutely hated, or whatever it was. And I don't feel much passion about any of it. I thought it was all kind of sweet and nice. I liked Judy Dench a lot. Uh, yeah, she, I liked. She and the boy were my play, favorite too. I, I liked. I really liked seeing Judy Dench play just an average. Yeah. Average person. Yeah, uh, I did too. The the the, the this, she she was great as an as the the grandparents were great generally yeah I thought. generally speaking I thought they both were I, I here we go again is his is it Sirenhines is it Cheerenhines I'm I'm not you know for, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that one I don't know <laughs> well I I sort of feel like while I really did like them I just don't know about their being nominated uh, that feels like. Yeah, that, that that's like a filler nomination, and it's I don't understand why. Why that is, but no, I felt like it was all very credible, what they yeah. were conveying. They, they everyone right. did a fine job. Yeah. I don't ever feel like there was a blown moment, but I was never. I was never drawn in by anyone's performance. I, I hate to say it, even the little kids. Oh, well, I know what you mean. I I don't feel like there was a lot of arc to any of any of it. Um, I felt like there were there were a couple of times where you could almost see like the little delay in his reaction because he's, you know, he's remembering his cue. I don't know. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, I I know. I know. I suck. Heavy hitter. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, so it's a whole I saw new level a, of hate mail we're going to get. I saw it in a theater. It, you know, big. Uh, listen, I like the black and white, even though I agree with what you're saying that there wasn't that much. There wasn't. They didn't do as much with it as they might have. But, um, I saw it in a theater, so it's much harder for me to take notes if there are people around me, and I don't want to be a problem. But, but I do. I do have. I just found on my phone that I made one note while watching it. So this I, must I, be. I, I was just about to say, how much of a nuisance could you? make making notes but you do them on their phone yes i do them on my phone um are you out of your mind <laughs> oh no why don't you I, have a little thing of paper and a pen well, i sit in the back row usually and i'm able to do it without disturbing people do but, you put um, a, the baseball cap in front of your phone so the light doesn't go yeah. out and 
Yeah. Okay. I turn turn it all the way down and. Um, okay. In any case, my point was this must have been very important if I was going to write it down. I didn't put any context for it. I think it is a line in exchange between um, Judy Dench and the the grandmother and the young boy. Mm-hmm. Um, It says, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm quoting a dialogue exchange. Uh, character one, Belfast will still be here when you get back. Mm. That's the grandmother speaking, I think. I think the it boy, was the grandfather. But, the grandfather. Okay. okay. The young person says, will you yeah, essentially still be here when yeah. I come back? And the response is, I'm not going anywhere. You anywhere can't find me. You can't me. find me. Yeah. Yeah. That, and was I, a real, that was a beautiful line. Yeah, so there were a couple of those in there where I went, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And clearly that was enough for me to break it out, and I don't think I was sitting in the back row on that one. Um, uh, but, um, you know, otherwise I don't have, like, a, a scene that I could point to and go, that was a great scene or, or whatever. Is there anything like that for you? No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, no, okay. Oof, well, that was rough. Uh, let's, let's leave them now and move on to... Uh, yeah, sorry. To sorry, something spicier. I, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's fine. I listen. We're all entitled to uh, whatever it is we need to say. Yeah. So that then I guess brings us to licorice pizza. It sure does, Doctor D. <laughs> and I guess it falls to me to uh, to start us off. I'm happy to start us off. Good. You start us off. I'm starting this off by saying. <laughs> Fuck you, because I loved every minute of this movie. And I know you didn't. I know you hated it. I know you did. Go ahead. Go ahead. How's that for a quick take? Yeah. There I you can't go. believe it started with you saying fuck you to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Go ahead, baby. All right. Tell me all well, about it. Uh, my quick take is... Um, I'm trying to think of something that will be almost as as brief as yours. Uh, almost famous too. I think you won the pithiest quick take <laughs> contest well, you, of the night. You won the most savage. I did. I did. Yes. I did. You came right at me with your knives out. Um, I did. I did. I'm sorry. I I, now, I I got a sense before we started taping. I got a sense of where you really? stood on it. And then, uh, yes, and then at the beginning of the show when you said that you feel very differently from everyone else, I'm like, oh, my Oh, God. I see. You hate, you didn't like this movie, did you? Why don't you, well, just, yeah, why don't you just tell me all about it? I loved every minute of this movie. Great. I'm so I glad really to hear did. that. Maybe you can help me get through some of the things that I wasn't in, in love with, but... Um, well, if you have specific things you weren't in love with, go for it. I'll just say I I thought yeah. it captured the awkwardness of teenage puppy love and and making strong connections with somebody, which in you know in the real world is sometimes clumsy and imperfect. But mm-hmm. you you can see how it it's going to be quote-unquote a character-building moment for that character later in right. his or her life. Right. 
Um, and then on top of it, I mean, you said it in the early 70s. Yeah. And in you know a place like Los Angeles. Well, I mean, you know, I'm like fish in a barrel. Like, you, you, you oh, got me. I'm, I'm right. so in there. Uh, and it's PTA. And I thought th- there were a couple of things I did have some issues with. But overall, I really, really loved it. I wanted to almost put it on again hmm. afterwards. Wow, that is uh, that's saying a lot. Um, the floor is yours. The floor is mine. And and listen, this doesn't have to be a thing where we take we where we take shots at each other. <laughs> no, <laughs> please. No, um, no. I'm not uh, as readily accepting of stories that are told um, anecdotally. And this feels like that sort of thing, that there would be a, a 10-minute chunk that was this part and then a 10-minute chunk that was that part. Um, Did you really, would, you really feel that way when you saw it, or is that something... That's how I, I okay. felt. I mean, even if you just look through the cast so list... So episodic structure? Episodic, I guess that's a better, okay. a better way of putting it. For example, uh, when I originally saw Goodfellas, the episodic nature of that did not... It turned me off. I've, over the years, come to appreciate that film much more um, than I did at the time. But this still has that same sort of function going on because I couldn't, I couldn't stop it in any, in some cases even, quote-unquote, worse than Goodfellas. I couldn't pick a, a scene in the, you know, 33-minute mark and tell you where either of those two characters were in regards to each other, the arc of each other. You know, from the moment we see him see her, he loves her and wants to marry her. And so he he's a flat line as far as any kind of change or development that he's going through, other than his efforts to sort of get closer to her but there's never I just didn't see any shape to his character I thought he was charming I thought he was sweet I thought he was funny I have other things to say about it but I'll, 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 I will concede that point I will concede that point there's no moment where we can see him maturing from the experience right and then similarly with her it was always sort of push me pull you kind of a thing she was put off by how much younger he was but she was still very intrigued by all of the other nice things about him and there's a point you know two-thirds of the way through or whatever it is where she's she's uh smoking a joint with her sister and says you know what am i doing hanging out with 15 year olds what am i doing what am i doing and so she's finally asking the question that i was asking in the first five minutes and so i just felt like it took her a very long time to even catch up with me in asking the question, and I don't know that I ever really got the answer. So hmm. she comes to realize that. I mean, listen, and and look, I, I love the scene where where she goes to his house and says, "You want to see my breast?" He says, "Yeah," and she goes in and she flashes him. I think it was in the trailer. I'd, I'd seen the it was. I'd seen the scene before. I think it's a shame it was in the trailer because it is one of the highly entertaining scenes for me i'm sure it was <laughs> not because it involves nudity um 
so anyway, that's that's sort of when you said, you know, now I can have at you. That was that's my sort of initial is the episodic nature of it and that I wasn't seeing the characters. I couldn't chart any growth in them. So it was just one caper to the next and however interested I was in that caper was what determined whether or not I was interested in that part of it. But it's all beautifully, you know, the locations, the costumes, the, you know, it, it perfectly captures valley life. I didn't even live here at, at that time and it perfectly captures it there's enough of it left over i can feel it yeah walking around there is enough of it left over yeah at um, least there was 20 years ago yeah um so yeah exactly so i i had this the experience for me was like i would go from going oh god what are we doing here to this is really cool this little part so there were lots of little parts that i went this is really cool and where i was engaged which is a very different feeling than I had in the previous movie we discussed today. Hmm. Belfast, there weren't parts where I was you know, like super engaged in that same way and recognizing. Right. At least here there was something. Yeah. So, you know, in the fir- I, I wasn't, I have my first note here, and I have voluminous notes this time, uh, is that I wasn't as charmed by the two of them together in the first scene as I think I was supposed to be. Um. And so I wasn't caught up with them right from the snap. Hmm. I did not have that problem. Right. No, clearly you were you were enamored of them from the start. I did like the dinner scene where she does show up at the at the what was it, Tale of the Cock? Tale of the Cock. And you know, they just sort of sit there and she doesn't want to they're they're not looking at he's kinda of looking at her, yeah. he's like, Don't look at me. I mean, I I did really enjoy that that scene and when they sat down at the at the table and and he now we're getting our first real a much better sense of him we've seen a scene with he and his brother in the interim i think where he's supposed to be taking care of his brother and and basically he's running around the corner yeah and he was so sweet and so charming i was really really taken by him at that table uh he reminded me of full-on kind of the 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 brash, charming, you know, brazen, whatever of uh, uh, American graffiti era Richard Dreyfus. Hmm. Um, and which Paul Thomas Anderson actually cited that as a major influence. Or there you go. So inspiration for this. So that that element, that part of it was was um, working to me, and that's fair. But I think that the character development in in graffiti is much more thoughtfully laid out and interlaced than what's going on here. You know, that we were following in, in American Graffiti, we're following half a dozen kids. But over the course of a short period of time. Right. True enough. True enough. Um, in any case. Um, and then just, you know, she ends up being the chaperone on his, on his trip so now he has a reason to be with her, and then, um, and then we meet the uh, his co-star in the movie. What was the movie within the movie that they did? Um, it was well, it, the the movie they, they, this the movie that they were referencing is Yours, Mine, and Ours, right? Which is a Lucille Ball thing with ten right. kids. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, where she marries is basically the predecessor to Brady Bunch, where two 
single guess, parents yeah. meet each other really, and then they have this enormous group. I hadn't um, really thought of it like that. Yeah, I've always thought of it like that. But um, in any case, uh, <laughs> the character Lance, who would have probably played an older brother or something right. in that movie within a movie, and he, you know, him hitting on Alana um, and just becoming kind of a thorn in, in his side and in the side of uh, our hero. Because he he, it was I I did I did kind of get into that sort of thing where when you're younger and you can't get the relationship you want, so you get some sort of adjacent relationship with a person, and then you suffer when you see them doing things with other people that you wish you were doing with them. Yeah, uh, you know um, that was that all certainly you, resonated. You you mean you mean the charm of this movie, as some of us refer to it. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Fair enough. If you're going to go there, here's what I'm going to say. What do we have? I'm going to go there. This, this, the charm of this movie, you're like you were. Yeah. No, no. Listen. This okay. movie, this movie is one of those, like, you watch those baking shows and, you know, like the Ace of Cakes or whatever, you know, and it they just make this insane gorgeous like it's a work of art what you're seeing when you look at this cake because it's got all these details and scallops and everything but for me this movie is like i bit into that cake and it was dry it didn't quite have the it had all these luscious details but it didn't have enough organization to the to the heart of it for me I wasn't completely lost. Like I, I, when he's at the, he's he and his mom are sitting in the parking lot eating hamburgers, which is depressing enough. Um, and then he sees her. This is now after they've made the trip, and he sees her with Lance, and it's absolutely pathetic that this is where Lance is taking her. I mean, aside from that, <laughs> but uh, but but it's. I mean, no, no. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfectly fine. It's just sad for both she and Lance that this is where they ended up. And then he can't stomach eating the rest of his thing, and and says, "Let's eat these at home." Yeah, it's a it's a puts a knot in your stomach to watch that. I remember. I rem- I listen. I am old, but I'm not so old that I don't remember being in that position. Yeah. Oh, and then that's followed by this really cool scene where he calls her. The sister answers. He says it's Lance calling for her, and then when she comes to the phone, he doesn't say anything, and. Then they then both she, hang up, and she and calls she back, calls him. and then neither of them say anything. He just answers the phone, and they just both say nothing as each of them is trying to figure out what the other is thinking. I watched All- that scene, and I was like, wait a minute. I think I did that. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> All while the younger brother is watching. And her um, sister is eavesdropping? Probably, yeah. one would assume. No, there was um, a shot of someone... Oh, was there? Oh, oh, okay, okay, gotcha. I thought the two of them were incredible, Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim. I thought they were they were both fantastic. Um, yes, they were, they were. I'm a bitter, nasty, unpleasant person. Everyone in the cast was fine. There were a couple of things that uh, that did Mm -hmm. stick out to me. I didn't quite get the narrative justification Mm. for having this weird Travis Bickley guy lurking around the, 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 the campaign office. 
Well, which came to zero. That that seemed like a red herring that just didn't go anywhere. I didn't quite get why. It's that possible was... that there was more, but I think it was feeding into the kind of I don't want to call it a B story or whatever, but that other layer of the story about the would-be politician and his personal life and the fact that he's gay. Right. No, I, I, I got how and I, I, I got how they, they, they justified okay. it by having him say, you know, and that's why I called you here or right. something like that. But um, unfortunately, the circumstances around this episode, um, we, we're sitting through quite a few minutes thinking this might go in the taxi driver direction and that would really huh. suck. Whereas if he just called her to the restaurant and then she bumped into this weird guy outside, you know, then that might have fixed it for me a little bit. But to establish him as like, you know, basically staking out the the campaign office and and maybe she's in danger is there going to be a shooting you know suddenly i was going off in like all these directions that didn't help and i don't see the point of having us go down that road right right and then in the end it didn't have a direct impact on alana unless Unless the impact was that the whole experience made her realize, you know, Jesus, I'm like playing a date as opposed to actually being with someone who cares about right, me and wants to right. Right. And also seeing, you know, um, she had a very brief but very intense exposure, a, a window into somebody else's love life. Both of those people, and being and, and keeping it secret, having yeah. having to keep your you know or, or or put your feelings to someone on the yeah. back burner, yeah, because of yeah. your own agenda or whatever, yeah, um, yeah. I agree that the that the cast was. Um, I really liked everybody. I liked the little kids. I, I I'm shocked at the performances that he got out of everybody across the board. Essentially. You know, but then again, I mean, it's really not, you know, that that at this point, I think is kind of a given with the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Is, yeah. <laughs> you're going to get solid moments out of everything. Right, right. In a completely natural kind of way. None of it seems forced. Right. Um, a few performances that jumped out to me. I mean, I was less interested in the higher profile cameos that happened than I was in a couple of um, much smaller performances, a scene or two. John Michael Higgins, as the owner of that restaurant. Yes. Um, I found him, I, I, I always like his work. I'm always interested in, in, in what he's doing. But when he started talking to his in the first scene with him to his wife in this horrifying Japanese accent, speaking English to her, but in a horrified Japanese accent accent. And then she responds and he is interpreting for her somehow. I'm just like, what is going on here? This is was so bizarre and weird. I couldn't wrap my head around it. 
Then he turns up again later with a new wife. And it, it basically it plays out the same way. And he says something to her and she responds. And then the, the hero says, Alana what says, say? what did she and say? Fred says, it's hard to tell. I don't, I don't speak, speak Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> I, was, I laughed so loud at that. I was like, what a great setup for that to be the answer. Well, well, yeah. I have to tell you, I mean, I, I understand where the, where the, 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 the criticism of that scene is, is yeah. coming from. But um, because of his, in the first scene, because of his wife's demeanor, I got, the feeling I got was whatever they speak at home, she fucking right, rules right. the house. Right, right, she's in charge. And he seemed to me kind of humbled and humil like just he he goes yeah, down yeah. a notch when when after that when he was quote unquote translating <laughs> for her. It just had me wondering about their right. relationship. Like, did she make him do that too? I just I thought it was I, I thought, thought it was, was a very like you and I, uh, strange and wonderful detail. I also had the thought while watching it is John Michael Higgins the new Fred Willard. I hope so. I hope so too, because we need another one. And, and they have, they're both in uh, Chris guest movies. I right. think they, uh, and Higgins has literally played an announcer in pitch perfect, which almost seemed like a clone of what Fred Willard did in uh, best in show, best in show, you know, the kind of not quite sure what's going on announcer. Um, Another performance that I was wowed by, and I don't think I made a note of her name, so I'll look for it, is that agent, the scene with the agent. Yeah. I was blown away by that scene and by her. Like, she made these really unusual choices. Like, when she got angry, her face started doing this weird trembly thing. Not angry, but, like, intense. Yeah. Uh, do you know that actress's name? I'm looking for her quickly here, but I'm afraid I'm not going to... No, I don't remember her name. Um, but no, I thought she was incredible too. She's apparently uh, a, a stand-in, quote-unquote, for uh, Sue Mengers, who was like the first woman power agent in mm. Hollywood. And right. had a, a very unique style, shall we say. <laughs> um, I loved it, and I loved that... This was another one where the sort of comedy chops were in the right place for me because they had a, like a scene and a half leading into that where he was basically going, whatever she asks you, if you can do it, just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. And he says that over and over and over as they're walking through the door. She's like, all right, already, just say yes. And then when she's asked, uh, do nudity, nudity, and she says yes, just the look on his face and... <laughs> His whole body language changes. Yeah. 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 Um, Fantastic. Yeah. I can't. I am ashamed that I can't find. I didn't make a note of that woman's name and I can't quite find it here. But um, uh, she was terrific. Shame on us all around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. And then one other person that jumped out at me, and this isn't really, I'm sort of half joking. I read later that it's actually Leonardo Di- DiCaprio's father, George, who plays yeah. who plays the guy who sells um, the kid, the first waterbed that, that sets off the waterbed sequence, um, yeah. Gary. 
And looking at him, I thought, wait a minute, is that Ron Jeremy? <laughs> did they pull Ron Jeremy out of mothballs? Because Ron did Jeremy have the look of like this is perfect like an, an entrance yeah. of somebody. The hedgehog yeah. would have been perfect as a waterbed salesman, you know, just because he's so. Well, it's uh, funny gnarly. because when he, like, as soon as he came out, I instantly had this flash. That's what he wears in real life. That's how he walks around. That's this fucking guy. Right, right. Oh, he was perfect. Um, so my hat, my hat is off there for him to be the. Um, but that's yeah, that's where I was like, I in my notes I go, wait, now he's going to be a waterbed salesman, an entrepreneur, and then I said, where is this movie going? You know, um, Doctor D, if I may <laughs> dare to say, yes. Bring it I on. think with a little time and a second viewing, you might I'm come sure. to feel different. Much as I did with, uh, with, um, I've already forgotten. Belfast? No, 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 no. Uh, Goodfellas. Eventually, I started to a- appreciate the the way it was built. Um, I, I've had that experience myself. Not with Goodfellas. I still have not yet come around. I'm not as enamored of that movie as a lot of people are. But um, for me, like the big, you know, about face was uh, with a David Lynch movie called Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. I know it. 1990. Yeah, I I absolutely hated it the first time I saw it. And uh, you're thinking leaving Las Vegas. No, no, no. It's it's also Wild at Heart, I think, is also. okay. well, whatever. Well, I mean, it's like it's part road movie. So I I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> Ten years later, and watching it a second time, like I got the movie, like I got it. Mm. Is in that movie is one of them named something like Sailor? That would be uh, that would be Nicholas Cage's character. Well, I think I'm going to give myself credit for remembering that. I saw that when it came out. Mm. That's the full extent of my. That's what I'm going to give you. I'm also going to give you credit for pronouncing it correctly. Oh, what's the other way to pronounce it? Are you, oh, you're teasing me. No, there's no other way. (laughs) At some point I just went, (laughs) wait, then he was being arrested. (laughs) Like what the fuck is going on? They, they're selling beds. Now suddenly he's, he's being dragged out by the police. Yeah. And, and it, it, it was the first sign to Alana that, like she almost kind of can't like she she cares about him like right holy shit right. what if he was suddenly fucking gone right um i i i thought that the way the police treated him seemed extremely fair <laughs> a fair representation of what very certainly was going on uh in that era in this with part what of they the could country. get away with back then yeah yeah yeah, um, just just the fact that you know he tries to explain in the car, like, "Hey, man, I'm only 15. I don't know what." They, and he's like, "Yeah, he, you're gonna like you like San Luis Obispo, buddy." Right, know, right. Like, and then they sit him. They 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 handcuff him to the bench. They walk away. There's a couple of beats. They come back with a guy who looks like he is so far gone on drugs. And uh, and they point it at Gary, and the drug fiend goes. Fuck no, that's not him. 
<laughs> they just dragged that guy away. He was the witness. That was the lineup. I mean, it's all just horrible. And then they just come and unlock. The, they don't. They don't explain anything. They don't say anything. They don't apologize. That all feels very much like the way. Yep. Uh, police stuff uh, yep. happens. And Back then she. In the day, at least. She beckons him out. And they hug each other, and you go, "Oh, this is different now." They split up, and and she sort of berates him. Did you do it? Did whatever it is they think you did? Did you what do did it? What did you do? Did you kill somebody? Yeah. Right. Um, which I wasn't nuts about him. That might be one of those moments I have to rewatch and go, okay, I'm getting this. Because in my head, I had already pictured that when he got out of there, the two of them were going to go off. They were going to run. They were just going to go running and there would be this joyous run. There was and a lot was, of running in this movie. There were a lot of running shots. That was the next thing I wrote. I wrote, actually, there's a lot of running in this. And it didn't stop there. They ran and ran and ran. So... Uh, you, could, um, you could argue that it's a metaphor for the the desire to rush to into adulthood, as however yep. either of those characters define it, and also the the sense of freedom that you feel when you're younger. You know, yeah. people don't just older people don't just run. You know what I mean? You run for exercise, or you run to catch a bus, the but bus, you don't just right. you don't just break into a run. That really is something that 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 younger people and and cults do. Yes. Um, I love and the they scene. They were a couple of cults. They were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I really puppies love the cults. scene. Say again? Sorry, pup, puppies and cults. Yeah, uh, puppies and cults, yes. I loved the scene I mentioned before where um, Alana and her sister are smoking a joint in a dugout. Mm-hmm. And she's questioning what she's doing with hanging around with 15-year-olds. Yeah, there was just it was very natural. It was very at ease. They both looked like they knew how to smoke. One of my picadillos is seeing actors who are clearly not smokers of cigarettes or joints trying to handle them as props. There's a stiffness and awkwardness that always makes me go, come on. You know, that should be something you studied at Stella Adler. Uh, When somebody is a smoker, the cigarette just becomes an extension of them. It's not something they're holding. It's just part of them in a way. There's like this ease with it. So an argument can be made that if you're playing a character who is not a smoker, you should not look like that. How did I know you weren't going to, you were not going to be enamored by this? That's the question. Well, I... Where are you on, where are you on Mr. Anderson? Um, I am by no means a, um, a devotee. Okay. I can take a quick look at his list here i think this is where you i had don't him. know them by heart i, I don't clearly you're not I, a devotee at this point i don't know anything by heart i barely know the names of the the your the, kids my family my kids exactly yeah um hmm this is a terrible i mean i've seen a lot of them okay you name know. them you name them and i'll, Heart I'll eight. say it again i'll even name them chronologically Heart eight Heart Eight, I saw, I enjoyed. Boogie Nights. I saw it and I enjoyed it, but I don't think I don't look at it as the the be all and end all as it has a reputation of being. Magnolia. I saw it and didn't care for it. Punch Drunk Love. Um, I I I I saw it and essentially liked it, 
it was interesting to see. I think that was probably the first time we saw Adam Sandler not acting like an idiot. I believe and you're right. I was quite taken by that, by the bravery that it would take to do that. There will be blood. Seen it. I think it's a masterpiece. The master. Um, I, I've seen it, and I think I think it was one of these things where it was like, it was all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed, but I didn't leave it feeling like, oh, great. Or feeling like, like it lived in me. Inherent vice. I actually never quite saw it. I think I tried to watch it, started watching it once, and it derailed and never got back to it. It's just not something that has... Um, and I didn't see Phantom Thread either, which is shameful. Mm. Okay. Um, I started to lose a little steam on him. Hmm. Uh, but this, um, honestly, this kind of brings me back a little. As much as I've been kind of saying it didn't all hold together for me, there were so many wonderful little things that I didn't get the cohesiveness of the entire thing. I'm willing to allow for that, that a lot of that could be me. Just like Belfast, I still think that there's probably just something wrong with me. Um, <laughs> but um, how about you? What were some scenes that sort of jumped out at you or anything you want to sort of rave about or kvetch about? Well, what did you think of Bradley Cooper's pop-up? I feel like his performance would have been more impactful for me had I not seen any of it in a trailer. In the trailer. I yeah. think that they shot Thank themselves you. in the foot because I think it was a tour de force, a bravura, you know, splash. And it's John Peters and he's just being this wild asshole. And I was, you probably already know all this stuff, but I was reading that, um, that the kids didn't know that it was he who was going to play that part. That's correct. And so when the characters meet John Peters for the first time, I think it was the first time they, yeah, they saw him they in makeup and costume. Talking to Bradley yeah. Cooper. Yeah. So I I like that kind of thing a lot. Um, what did you think of the uh, Sean Penn sequence? I, I thought he seemed perfect for like a, a William Holden type stand-in, a, a an a old actor turned maybe producer it seemed like maybe he was also in that role i couldn't quite tell if he was just supposed to be an actor in this thing or if he was also i couldn't tell either yeah you know um and i thought he and uh oh shit tom waits were tom fantastic waits. together as yeah. the old dp or the first ad or the old director and um and his star uh reminiscing about the old days and the way they would the way they would greet each other it's like the, post Hemingway, yeah, man, yeah, 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 with insults, you know, swagger. hey, you motherfucker, you dumb son of a bitch, yeah. how are you? That kind of stuff was they just they did that perfectly, and then yeah. they got drunker and drunker, and she became less and less a point of what was even happening there, uh, for for the pen character, and I can take or leave the whole motorcycle jump part of it. It was just sort of a reason to get the two of them, you know physically closer together at the end more running no i disagree okay no well and i think the point i think the school point me that, the yeah. point of that scene is because it, as soon as she falls off the bike he runs for her mm -hmm. he doesn't give a shit about sean penn or anything else 
that's when she realizes, or at least we realize, she is the most important thing to him, no matter what else is going on. Who gives a shit about this big actor on a bike and of flames and whatnot? You fell off the bike. I want to make sure you're okay. I, okay, that's... That's what I got out of it. No, I understand, but my feeling was I knew that the first time he talks to his brother, he says, I met the woman I'm going to marry today. So he's already oh, so added. Oh, that a spoiler? That was a spoiler for He's you? already like, at an 11 for her. He starts at an 11. The question isn't how is he going to feel more about her. It's how is he going to um, find his way into her, but into her that's heart. When she, but that's when she realizes right. that. In his eyes, she is the most important thing going on. Okay. And what I'm saying is the whole motorcycle thing, I don't care for it. It's only there to function to reveal that part, to reveal that emotional thing between them. I don't see what the problem is with that. It's just a lot of hoopla for that. I don't know. Um, I became less and less interested in, in Sean Penn and... Tom Waits, as the sequence wore on, as they travel outside, I became less and less interested in them. I'll give you that. It was a little uh, underwhelming of a right of an event that 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 was dragging the whole restaurant right. out to watch. I, that... It didn't. It didn't seem, first of all, like they had that much command <laughs> of right all the other right. patrons in the restaurant. Um, but I don't, but, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to knock it or, or what? I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> I said, I'll give you that about the, that, that, that yes, there is something, there are sort of uh, descending concerns as that scene goes on. Right. I the note that. I have in here, I wrote, wow, that's fucking Sean Penn. She has a lot, she has a, she says to him in the, at the, when they're getting drunk and he's, He's waxing on before he gets completely gone. And she's like, right. Are, are these lines or is this real? You know? And you just know he said those yeah. things to other people so many times. Listen, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody else. And you're like, oh, fuck you. That's what you tell everybody. Cocksucker. Right. Like when, like when he compares her to Grace Kelly. It should be like comparing me to Grace Kelly. I mean, not, <laughs> it's not a reflection on it's not a reflection on Alana Haim. But there is no resemblance between them. They're women. That's it. Going back to the audition itself, and then through the sequence in the bar, is that she's getting attention from this this older man, who's this famous older man. Mm -hmm. And if you go all the way back to when Lance... She was dating Lance, who was an actor. Yeah. And and they had the dinner. Lance comes over, and he completely completely screws everything up by... Uh, saying he's an atheist and rejecting, uh, you know. And then she goes back inside and blows up at everybody in the house because they fucked it up for her. Yeah. And one of the things she says was, he was going to take me out of here. Yeah. Uh, You know, I hung on to that line. And then here she is later with another actor who is capable of, quote, unquote, taking her out of there, showing interest, bringing her to a bar, getting her drunk, saying she looks like Grace Kelly. Um and he's saying all these uh, sweet and nice things to her, but he doesn't mean any of them. Well, where, whereas she spends all her time with an actor who says things to her that he does mean. Um, and so 
it's a, a point of contrast between the Sean Penn character and Gary in terms of her looking around at, at the men in her world. Hmm. Um, she seems interested in actors, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I said here, <laughs> the rest of the sequence with the motorcycle jump, et cetera, just seems weird and random, and I don't really know what we're doing anymore. Um, so clearly I was lost even that far down. Um, John, the terrifying John Peters, uh, driving the truck backwards down the hill. That was, uh, <laughs> that was very intense, which apparently she was actually was, doing. She was actually doing, yeah. In the shots where you could see her at the wheel, there was no gimmick going on. I mean, to tell you the truth, I was actually more impressed when she pulled up next to uh, John Peters' car, like within a <laughs> literal right. inch yes. of contact. While he was dry humping and, well, and he raping was, her yeah, ear. Like basically, yeah, like climbing into her lap. and Yeah. Oh, man. And then he opens the, the Fat Bernie's, the waterbed place is done, and now it's going to be Fat Bernie's Pinball Palace. And by then they've had a falling out and she spends her night. What is she doing that, that night? That's the night of, uh, when, when the, the candidate. Oh, when she goes, her, yeah. Calls her and says, you come meet me for dinner. Right. She's for now, time. she's, this is, that's right. She had a falling out with them after the, all the business with the truck and everything. And with John Peters. And she's like, I need to be an adult now. And now I'm going to be involved in politics and I'm going to change the world. And here's this guy. And maybe he'll be interested in me. And then he turns out to be gay. Right. And she's just sort of there as to, to be a beard. Um, so she has that disappointing, that d- disappointing turn. And that whole night he's at the pizza palace going, is she coming? Is she coming? Right. I thought this would be the point. You know, he's got a suit on now. He looks, he looks like a boy pretending to be an adult, but at least he's getting closer. At least he's dressing the part. And then he starts running in a suit. <laughs> I was like, Oh, we're running, but now he's wearing a suit. And, um, and then she starts running. And then I finally went, Oh, they've been running. They're running towards each other. It's just before they were always, now they're running at one another instead of with one another or away from one another. And they come together under the marquee of whatever mm-hmm. movies that were playing that week. And I, that was enough for me to be the end of the movie right there. I didn't need the sort of coda where they go back to the pinball palace and he gets up and says, you know, announces her as his bride to be or something. And she's like, Oh, you fucking idiot. I don't think she says fucking, she's like, you idiot. Yeah. Um, so I, and I suppose that's meant to mean whatever their quote unquote happily ever after is going to be. It's not going to be that different from the, you know, some of what went on before. Oh, I'm still going to, I didn't come away with that from that moment yeah what was your take on that last scene or the functionally why it was there well i thought for a minute he was he paul thomas anderson was going to to deny us a moment of the moment where she says i love you um Mm. that instead it was going to be this 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 idiot announcement that he makes which stupid kids do like right like stupid teens do shit like that I uh-huh. certainly did plenty of times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with the coda in general. It was kind of it was kind of like a closing curtain saying goodnight to the stage hands kind of sequence. 
Okay. And All then right. they, yeah, and then they take off and the mic drop of an ending. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I would be very interested if you ever come back to this uh, and, and give it not... a, an earnest second try. Um, fair enough. What was, this has been nominated for? Everything. Best director, really everything? No, I'm joking. No, no. Best, uh, best director. It's been nominated for best picture, uh, original screenplay, and that's of our sort of top line categories. That's what it's falling into. So actor and actress. Um, Brana, by the way, uh, was also. Oh, was it nominated for actor and actress? Yeah. Oh, well, my my notes aren't so good then. I guess I must have done it wrong. Okay, <clears throat> and oh. I didn't realize while watching it that he is, um, you know, uh, the son of... Philip Seymour Hoffman, you didn't realize that when you were watching it? You didn't know that going no. into it? No, I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. My God. Why do you say you're glad you didn't? You would think you would have judged Because him. I would have been thinking about something that isn't really part of what they were trying to show me. Hmm, Fair. It, it would have pulled me. It would have pulled me out of what they were there. What we were there to do. Um, and I thought he was. I thought he was really good. Even inside of the complaints that I've had about, you know, character arc or whatever, <clears throat> I feel as though he. Um, he he was a character all the way through. You know, he he just he was right there. Um, and yeah, I'm. Uh, it's essentially introducing him, isn't it? I mean, I believe as, so. as a feature, yeah, feature actor. So, so um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, one day you'll watch this again, and one day I'll watch Breaking Bad for the first time. <laughs> well, that's not fair because this is only going to take me. Two and a half or three hours of my life, and that will take you 63 hours of your life. He even knows the number of hours. Incredible. Well, yeah, because it's 63 perfect episodes, so what are you going to do? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> well, All 62 right. perfect episodes. There's one that I, that I <laughs> thought they had done. As opposed to most of Paul Thomas yes. Anderson's movies. <laughs> so... Um, we Very can... briefly, let's shift gears and, and just shine a quick spotlight. We've gone on a little longer than we meant to. Um, shine a quick spotlight on the last of the Oscar-nominated um, films that we will we will touch on. I will say, even before we get into that, that we have left Dune out of these Oscar buzz episodes because we had a full episode discussing it, and it didn't seem to make a point to revisit it. No. That brings us to Drive My Car. How was Drive My Car? Okay, yes. I saw it, you didn't. That's fine. Not, not enough time to see everything. Uh, okay, so it is a film by a Japanese filmmaker named Ryosuke Hamaguchi. I'm probably ruining that. I don't know uh, Mr. Hamaguchi's other work. Shame on me, as usual. Mm. Uh, um... But here's the thing. I found this movie to be uh, a sober and mature, thoughtful, uh, languidly paced, I guess I would say, uh, examination of love and loss, of 
grief and recovery. Hmm. I know that doesn't sound super exciting. Um, and it gets worse. Uh, <laughs> which isn't exactly fair, but it's got a nearly three-hour running time. It's, I think, just a couple seconds short of three hours. Um, so there's a great deal to take in and process, and I won't even try to encapsulate the plot in any real way. You know, it's just, I wouldn't do it any justice. Um, I guess just a thumbnail. Uh, the story revolves around a famous Japanese actor and director who finds himself um, still uh, deeply withdrawn uh, uh, several years after his wife has passed away. Um, and eventually he takes a job at a, like a local art center uh, to put on a play. And it's through the course of mounting the production, and especially he's got this sort of slowly developing friendship with uh, this chauffeur that he's forced to accept, this young woman, um, he starts to find his way back to himself. Doesn't sound brief. Uh, the play they're mounting is, has about a half a dozen, no, not, I'm sorry. The play they're mounting has about a dozen actors in it. Uh, those actors don't all speak the same language. One is even, uh, is deaf and uses Korean sign language, um, and I just, it was so cool to watch them rehearse. Um, each one of them knows the text of the play they're dealing with, but they don't understand what the other actors are saying. And it's just this really fascinating idea of, of watching people communicate with one another without necessarily knowing exactly what they're saying. I just found it very, uh, the rehearsals this verse are very compelling um, to watch them rehearse together and 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 their you know bond in the process as a kind of a company of actors it was really cool. Um, and as far as the relationship between the man and his driver, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't mean to start anything, but uh, I think with all due respect to PTA, uh, <laughs> uh, he could uh, take a lesson or two from uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi. That could be. That could very well be. Um, I hope I haven't ruined it twice. Um, I think it is well suited to be uh, here among these other films, and I think it's nominated uh, as an international best picture. It was, it was up for an award uh, for the Palme d'Or at Cannes. So it's, you know, it's a very well crafted. Thank you, film. In our next episode, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this. Uh, consider yourself very invited mm -hmm. to our annual Drunk Oscar Picks episode, wherein Dr. D and I will run down this year's nominations, the Oscars in general, international versus best picture, and a whole lot <laughs> more. Yeah, it's a drinking game. Basically, we take we must each take a shot for... A collision of predictions. <laughs> and then, of course, we weigh them out against the actual winners. But absolutely, it's a lot. It's well, it's not live, but uh, it's a it's a warts and all presentation. And as you can imagine, <laughs> as the episode goes on, our speculations become drunker and drunker. <laughs> I am so looking forward to that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. It truly wouldn't be the same without you. 
For now, and until next time, the doctors are out. Third Oscar Buzz double feature tonight featuring two films that are essentially reminiscences of child childhoods yes childhoods you fuck two movies that are essentially I can't child, look at you just listen to I me I can't look at you two movies that are essentially childhood reminiscences or thank you yeah Hollywood Rx is a proud member of the Forwardly Podcasting Network.